course, we all think the answer to this question should be yes. All paedophiles should be spending their life in prison. However, we know that the system doesn't work like that. Now, here in England, a high-profile offender recently got released from prison and is straight back in there after offending again, which poses this big question about rehabilitation. Now, this story made the news. I found the video of the report, so I think we should go through it. Okay, so this incident that's happened here in England with this high-profile offender being released from prison and is now put straight back in for re-offending poses this big question about rehabilitation and if it's possible with paedophiles and what we should even be aiming for with offenders that have served their prison sentence and are released back into our communities. Now, this coincides with a lot of posts I've been putting out on my social media about this topic and it's just caused so much anger. I mean I got attacked on TikTok. Um, my video got 40,000 views and people were coming at me. Now thankfully I've got support on there so people are going back at those people that are attacking me and just saying hold on a minute. Hold your emotion for a moment. I know we're all angry about this, but we need to have a conversation about it. And that's what I believe they did on this um, this TV show called Good Morning Britain, which I want to get on, by the way, one day. So I thought we could review it together and see what they're, see what they're talking about. Gary Glitter has gone back to prison this week after breaching his licence conditions after he was caught looking at a smartphone and trying to access the dark web. So Glitter was freed last month after serving half of his 16-year term for wow. abusing three schoolgirls. Half of, a, half of the prison term that he was meant to serve, he got released for abusing three schoolgirls. I don't actually know his story fully, but that's... That's terrible. Some say it cast out over the rehabilitation of serial sex abusers. So should convicted paedophiles remain behind bars for life? We're joined now by the CEO of the Safeguarding Alliance, Emily Constantis, who says that child sex offenders can't ever be rehabilitated. Emily, thank you for joining us. And we have defence barrister Chris Dorr, who says that Gary Glitter's case shows that criminal justice does in fact, work. I think people will be quite shocked, Chris, that you suggest that because mm -hmm. not a month after being released, he's already contravened the rules of his release and has had to go back inside. Yeah, well, first of all, I think this is a really difficult subject and I, d I don't think there's any kind of binary answer to the, to the issue of what you do with sex offenders. But the reason why I suggest that in this case the system's worked is because licence conditions imposed on released sex offenders are intended to pick up this sort of behaviour that looks mm. like someone may be uh, on, on a journey towards further offending and get them back into prison quickly without any uh, legal process. And that's what's happened. So, wasn't it OK. Let's stop it there for a quick moment because this man is explaining that the system we have in place has worked in this instance. Gary Glitter, a high-profile offender, has been released and then has breached his license conditions. It says it there on the screen. So they are monitoring him closely and they caught him breaching the conditions of his release because he went on his mobile phone trying to access the dark web. Now, 
looking at it from one angle, that's a thumbs up, right? That's a thumbs up because we caught the guy. But that's exactly the problem. We caught the guy. The offence has been committed and now we've caught him. There was no prevention there. Now, thankfully, he was just looking at his phone trying to find stuff. But what happens if he had actually gone for um, a real child and then we caught him after the crime's been committed? It's no good. So he's saying, this man is saying, but, and by the way, very brave of this man to come on TV and talk from this point of view, right? Um, to give us, to let us know what's actually going on. And he's saying that there is some good that's happening with paedophiles that have been released Let's continue. Expectation, though, that he was sentenced to a 16-year term. He served half of that 16-year term. Within that 16-year term, the rehabilitation should have happened during that period. Exactly. And so, exactly. At, but, but he's been out a month and he's already contravened the rules. Exactly. And what does that tell you about how we are failing to well, do anything? Well, it sounds any... like he's not been rehabilitated. Well, exactly. And we're failing in our prison system to rehabilitate sex offenders in particular. The prison system's a completely ineffective way of rehabilitating most people, but it, it fails most seriously and most regularly in the case of sex offenders, particularly sex offenders like Glitter, who have been offending for... 50, 60 years, very, very long periods, and, and who didn't get caught until many, many years after the, uh, the, the offending that they committed. Uh, these are very difficult cases, and we absolutely need to look at the most important thing of all. How do you reduce the risk of further offences? Okay. I'm pretty sure anyone that's watching this or listening to this now is like, you just can't stop these people. And actually, you know what? I agree. I don't think you can stop them. He says here, doesn't he? It's all about reducing the the risk of them offending again. Now, what was interesting about what he just said there was about the fact that Gary Glitter is a serial offender. He'd been offending for, he'd been offending for decades and he only got caught towards the end of... You know, he'd already been offending for, for decades before he got caught. So should he be somebody that's released? Surely there's got to be, and I don't know how you feel about this, surely there's got to be some form of spectrum here. If you're an offender and you've been offending for decades, you're never released back out into our community. We're not taking that risk. Even if we can say that we can reduce that risk tremendously, we don't care. We're not taking the risk. But what do you think about, let's say, somebody on their first offence, or let's say a younger person, let's say a 19-year-old who's been messaging a 15-year-old and meets with them, would we want to treat them the same way? And I don't know how I feel as I just said that, because I feel like I just tried to make lighter, make the fact that a 19-year-old touched a 15-year-old lighter, a lighter situation than uh, somebody um, who, um, uh, an old man who's been um, repeatedly sexually abusing young children. I'm not trying to compare the seriousness or the severity of each of them, but do we do we have that? Do we need to have a spectrum, or or should that 19-year-old that uh, that we're using as in this example, should he be put into uh, prison for life as well it's it's it, it's so it's so it's not straightforward it's not straightforward what he's saying about the rehabilitation in prisons being absolutely 
poor and and not working for all crimes in particular this one is is scary that's scary and something that I'd like my work to start evolving into is the prison system I'd love in the future to make documentaries about what's going on with um, how sex offenders are handled in in prison um, and and kind of expose that and help us and and allow us to see what's actually going on because we are we celebrate when the person has been sentenced even though the sentence is so short so I don't know exactly where the celebration is entirely I do understand actually I shouldn't say that um but we but then when they're put in prison we we don't there's no more there's no more tension the rehabilitation just goes on in house um and like this man saying it's weak let's continue so it works sort of in I, this situation i completely disagree um actually how could he even be put in a position to be able to reoffend in the first place? If it was working um, and he'd been rehabilitated, he wouldn't have come straight out of prison and gone on to try and get to children. Um, and actually, any risk is too much of a risk in relation to our children. So, okay. Let me just tell you a little bit about this lady. This is Emily. She is the um, the, the, the founder, the spokesperson for Safeguarding Alliance. You can hear the passion in her voice and the, the 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 anger in her voice safeguarding alliance is a organization that is working to get laws changed that they believe are currently protecting um protecting offenders and she makes a great point um she makes the point of any risk is too much of a risk when it comes to our children and i agree with that however what is the practical solution it's gonna be way too expensive there is not enough money there is not enough money to put every offender in prison for life it would never ever happen we don't put anyone in prison for life unless they've repeatedly committed a crime i don't know that for sure by the way Let's continue. Sorry. So there is a failure of rehabilitation, which you also agree is a process. But is there a failure of the system, the justice system, which allows people after they serve their term to come up for release? Because that is a tenant of our system, isn't it? We can look at cases like uh, Gary Glitters and we can look at cases of repeat abusers and we can, we can form judgments about that. Mm. But... You know, a fundamental tenet of our system is people have a sentence, they serve their time, and they then have a chance to go back out into life. I, I think Gary Glitter is a case, obviously, he got caught. My concern is, is the possible thousands of sex offenders that haven't been caught. Um, statistics um, that, that were identified by the Safeguarding Alliance identified that over 11,500 sex offenders failed to notify um, of, of a change to circumstance. A and they, again, are the ones that have been caught. What about the sex offenders that haven't been caught? What about changing their name by depol? So actually, how do we manage sex offenders if we don't know where they are? Um, and my issue is that actually, yes, it's going to cost money. Yes, um, we, we have a capacity issue, but there shouldn't be a price on a child's life. Chris. Okay, she talks a little bit more about her work there, right? 
um, what Safeguard and Alliance are doing. One of the things that I have been made aware recently um, from um, some of the people who I work with in these circles is that um, offenders are changing their name um, by deep, deep poll legally they're changing their name and apparently it's a very easy uh, process to do that now what advantage that brings them is that the, they then can um, not be found under the original name with the crimes associated with it they then can apply for a brand new driving license and passport under that new name and then because everything is those documents are clean with their new name they can then apply for a brand new clean dbs check apparently this is happening all of the time with offenders and that's allowing them to roam around um, as if they are not a criminal and of course get jobs where they shouldn't be getting jobs etc etc now um, the safeguarding alliance are doing incredible work i am supporting them as much as i can i've just released some um some posts on my social media uh, making my audience aware of of what's going on here um how many people did she say um have changed that uh how many people are on the sex offenders register i can't remember how many she said but i remember when i was watching this video one of the gentlemen said there was 67,000 sex offenders on the register and 11,000 have changed their name and uh, many of them we cannot now track. It's like we're in the stone ages with all of this. Like what the hell is going on? It's, we're so advanced as a society in so, so many areas um, of, of life and um, technology and um, certain systems, companies, businesses, like we're so intricate and advanced and, and sophisticated. But when it comes to people who commit crimes of a sexual nature, we are far from having a hold on this. Thank you, Emily, for doing all of this work with um, Safeguarding Alliance. Please search them and, and, and support their work. You say that it's not working and the system is broken, then why not just keep them inside full time? Because if there's no chance that they can come out, mm. they aren't going to reoffend. Well, it depends who they are, if it, because sex offenders, including child sex offenders, there are hundreds of thousands of them in Britain. There are around 100,000 uh, sex offenders on the sex offences register. Wow. Our prison population is bursting at the seams and it's mm. 80 or 85,000. So in order to imprison every single child sex offender, you would need to double, triple or quadruple the capacity of our prisons. The cost of that would be absolutely astronomical and ultimately it doesn't work because what does work is early intervention as soon as there's any sign of uh, of criminal criminal behavior by these people and diverting them from further offense which is what you okay okay look as much as we don't want to do this okay as much as we don't like this we have to be practical about this situation you know we have to be realistic about this situation Hundreds, a hundred thousand, like, like oh, I can't remember the numbers, but thousands upon thousands of sex offenders. If we were to lock them all up for life, we'd have to quadruple the prison capacity. Prisons are already bursting at the seams. And people are always going to come back at that and say, well, money shouldn't be an object when protecting children. I agree entirely. Completely, I agree. However, that's not the world that we are living in at all. Everything has a price and what the way the money is distributed is out of our control. So what are we going to do? 
He talks about early intervention there. It's a very interesting point, I believe, because now that I'm going into schools, and you know what, I was thinking about this the other day, and I'm going to write a post about it. I go into schools and talk to young people, teenagers mostly, about sexual abuse, what to do if it happens to you. I talk about my story, how I felt when it was going on, how I felt to speak out, and trying to open the conversation and break down the stigma on this topic. And um, lots of people say to me that that's an, a, a truly amazing thing that you're doing. I, I, I also believe that. Um, and, you know, statistics show, the statistic actually is one in 10 children or young people will go through some form of sexual abuse or assault in person or online before the age of 18. So if you think, if I talk to 500 students, statistically that's 50 young people that I'm talking to that have either been through something already, are going through something right now, or will go through something in the future. Incredible work. I'm very proud of that area of of my work. But what I was thinking about last night was... Included in the fact that I'm speaking to children who are involved in abuse, I'm also going to be speaking to a number of students that will assault or abuse someone else in their lifetime. Now, if I can speak in front of them, honestly, truthfully and impactfully, there's at least 1% chance that I could give them some more information on why not to do that. And I feel like this is a really important point because we are very, very happy to talk about what to do if you've been abused, what to do if you're going through abuse, what to do if you've been abused in the past. But one of the conversations that I never hear about is what to do if you feel like abusing what to do if you're tempted to abuse. And now we're not talking, I'm not talking about 40-year-old men, 50-year-old men. We don't like, when it comes to this conversation with those age groups, like we we like, uh, we have a different attitude. But when we're talking about 15-year-old boys who will grow into men, then what we, what we saying? We need to get in there early, early intervention, education, information, influence, This is what this man's talking about. And I just want to say it again. I know I've said it already. But for him to come onto national TV like this is a strong move. It's a strong move. And gives us another perspective on the the conversation. Because we need many perspectives on this very complex conversation. Putting them in prison is just teaching them. They, 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 they hang out with other sex offenders and they actually learn from each other in prison. I, and oh that's my God. the catastrophe we I, have I, in I'm our system. I'm really sorry, Chris, but I disagree because even outside of prison, they're still hanging out with other sex offenders and they've got open access because they're doing it online. Yeah, that, absolutely, that, but and that's a monitoring issue. You're absolutely, I think we can agree on this. Monitoring arrangements for sex offenders in the community are appalling. People slip through the net, mm. thousands and thousands of them. But that's not a reason to imprison every single one. Only a, only a small minority reoffend, as you know, in, o- over the course of a lifetime. But and we'd be imprisoning people for, what, 60 years, 70 years, 80 years? 
uh, for an offence that ordinarily would receive no prison sentence at all. I, I think even, even that small minority, though, is going to impact such a large majority of children. Um, and you mentioned, obviously, the capacity. Yes, we know right, over 80,000 prisoners, only 12,000 of those are actual sex offenders. There are over 60,000 sex offenders living in the community. How many of them are child sex offenders? Mm. And the risk is too great. The, uh, the vast... Oh, my God, it's so scary, those numbers. Those numbers are so scary. He says that the problem with putting them all in prison is you put them with each other. So now they're all just talking amongst themselves while they're serving their prison sentence in their prison cells, talking about how to not get caught next time. They're all influencing each other. And then she says, even... Outside of prison, they're all in the same communities online influencing each other. It's like a disease. It feels like like the way I just described that, it's like a disease, like a germ that's multiplying. It's a nice it's an it's a they've got two nice characters here because I feel like they're coming at the topic from different angles and it's useful for us. Just gonna stop my camera because it's gonna run out of time. One second. Okay, we're back. Let's continue with the video. Majority, in fact, all of them of our viewers' comments have come in on your side, Emily, with regards to this. Everybody is pretty convinced that actually keeping them inside is the only answer. But when you realise the scale of what yeah, that I, would I involve, the, Chris, I think the reason people have that reaction, and it's an understandable one, is that it's an emotive reaction to very. a very, very difficult and emotive subject policymakers and the law has to step back from that sure. and, and ask, ask one simple question. How do we reduce the number of offences and the number of victims? And longer and longer prison sentences has been proven every time to fail on that critical measure. We're going to Okay. That seems like common sense, right? Should we just rewind what he just said? One second. actually keeping them inside is the only answer. But when you realise the scale of what yeah, that would I think involve, the, Chris... I think the reason people have that reaction, and it's an understandable one, is that it's an emotive reaction to very. a very, very difficult and emotive subject. Policymakers and the law has to step back from that sure. and, and ask, ask one simple question. How do we reduce the number of offences and the number of victims? And longer and longer prison sentence has been proven every time to fail on that critical measure. We're going to have... OK, it's... It's, it's a... It's a... It's a very impactful thing that he just said there this subject is hugely emotive i know that i'm in those i'm dealing with it every day and i'm and i and i'm and i'm absorbing the the emotion within it so let's take any other crime right let's take any other crime let's say a um uh, let's just take just think about another crime that people get put in prison for and when we have the discussion of like slapping them with prison sentences, um, I know, like, I, I always remember there was, uh, I always remember being in a conversation where it was all about it costs X amount to put somebody in prison for a year, but it costs a fraction of that to put them through college for, to get a qualification to re, um, to re, to put to get them back into the community now i know that's different to this isn't it because 
we're talking about somebody who has the risk of hurting a child. We're not talking about somebody who steals from a shop or um, or whatever, whatever, deals drugs or whatever, whatever the situation. So it is very different. I understand it is very different. But like he said, well, I just don't know. I just don't know how to feel about it. Because, you know, the solution is put everybody in prison for their whole life and pump huge amounts of money into education, information and influence. So you're working on what happens when the crime's been committed and you're working on before the crime has been committed. But it's just not practical, is it? Because it's just not going to happen. Okay. To leave it there, I'm afraid, but thank you very much, Chris. Thank you, Emily, for joining Thanks us this so morning. Now, if you've been affected by any of the issues we've been discussing, you can find advice okay. and support. It's the end of it. I'm so pleased that Good Morning Britain had this on their show. Good Morning Britain, hello, I'm here. I want to get on your show as well, please. Something that I'm pushing for. I've got plenty to talk about. I just, in particular, with the few attacks I've had online recently through opening this conversation, it's so, it makes everyone so angry. They said, didn't they, everyone's backing Emily in throwing these people in prison for their whole life. Let me ask you two questions on that. Would you be happy to pay more tax to make that happen? Question number one, just coming to my head. Question number two is, if your son, who was 19 years old, was messaging a 15-year-old and met with her and it was the... and and they did stuff of a sexual nature with her, and it was the only other time that that had happened, would you want your son to go to prison for the rest of his life? If you found your husband, here's another scenario, if you found your husband looking at stuff online that he shouldn't be, um, maybe something illegal, and he said to you, I've been fighting this for a little while, and I'm so sorry, I gave into the temptation. It's like the second time I've only ever done it. Would you want him to go to prison for his whole life? So if I try to bring this conversation into your people who you love and are connected with, does your decision change? It's just a question, right? It's just a question. I'm just trying to open the discussion further. I just want us to have a mature conversation about this Because locking people up for the whole of their life, killing people for this crime, it's not an option that's available to us. So whilst we continue talking about that, we're losing time. One of the videos that I made, I said, I said, we need to stop. We need to stop with the with the angry angry response, and we need to think about this logically, right? The aim. Our, our, our absolute priority is to stop this crime from continuing to happen and stop it in the first place from ever occurring. We need to think logically about this. We need to think what's available to us with regards to what the government put into this, the seriousness of the, the, the way that they treat this. We have to deal with that as a factor as well because governments are not treating this seriously at all. 
And why is that? Is it because they don't ever... Is it because we're not shouting loud enough? Well, I believe that's changing. Is it because we're not speaking explicitly enough about our uh, experiences? I believe that's one of the factors, and that's why I'm going for this. I one day want to speak in Parliament, and I'm going to talk to them about when I was eight years old. I'm going to talk to them about the kissing, the grooming, the fondling, the oral sex, how it felt to receive it, how it felt to have to give it. I want to tell them all of that so that they can be like, whoa, I want to give them a vision of what it's really like, of what it actually is. Not just words, not just oh my God, I I sometimes get so frustrated with with tiptoeing around this topic. We're tiptoeing around this topic, still covering it up with trigger warnings so that people scroll straight past it. Like, come on, come on. We've got to take this thing by the scruff of the neck. So a big thank you to Emily at Safeguarding Alliance. A big thank you to Della's Law at at Della Law at Safeguarding Alliance. Check them out. Search them up. Go support them. Thank you so much to this lawyer who's come on national TV to give us his perspective on the on the reduction of this crime. Let's work together. This is a team. I know in the comments section on a lot of my videos recently, in particular TikTok, everyone's been fighting with each other. We're on the same team. We've all got the same mission and the same priority, which is saving children. Let's keep going with it. Thank you for watching.